Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And I want to welcome you to part three of this interview with John Byron, where we have been talking about the stages on the journey that we all go through in our relationship with Jesus. If you have not listened to any of the other parts, that's okay. This is the one that's most important to listen to because we cover an overview of the other stages and what they're about, but we really focus in on stage four what is often called the wall, the cloud of unknowing, or what is called the dark night of the soul. This is the part on our journey where many people are most tempted to walk away, to give up. But as they say, the only way out is the way through. Why is it important to keep going on the journey through the dark night of the soul? We're going to answer that question. So let's jump into the discussion with John Byron. When you begin to come through that side of discipleship and move into the place of service, where you become, you were the disciple and now maybe you are discipling others, mentoring others. It's easy to figure that I've got all my answers now. I'm now the one that is entrusting people with all my pearls of wisdom. Doesn't that sound just awful? Yes. (laughs) I mean... We might not say that, but to some degree, we can move into those places where we've become so secure in our answers, so secure in the gifts that we have, that we begin to, again, move into a place where those become the things we're attached to. They make us feel secure. Mm. And they give us that sense that all is well with the world. We're fruitful. We're investing. Good things are happening. But. When that is your security, now you come to stage four. Stage four is is that place where all of a sudden you're beginning to experience less of that sense of intimacy with God and more of that sense of exhaustion and maybe feeling a little bit like I'm an employee, okay? It is the place oftentimes described as the wall. Mm. In the spiritual realm, first half of life, has this sense of new birth, of discipleship, of investing in stewardship and fruitfulness, has all those things. But you hit that wall, and in the second half of life, you begin to discover that life doesn't always work out the way you thought it was based on the answers you have. You find that all those answers that you felt so secure in may not have been complete. They may may have been answers, and answers good for the time, but they may not be adequate to sustain you all the way through. So you hit the wall, and this is the place when those answers aren't working. The same things that you did initially, the things that you counted on to make your life feel meaningful, they're just not doing it for you anymore. You read your Bible, and it's kind of like, you know, at one point in my life, this was the best moment of my day. And now it's like reading the telephone book. At one point in my life, prayer was actually a conversation. And even the list was meaningful. But now it feels like I'm talking and things are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. This is where people hit the wall. And in this whole idea of stages of development, what often happens spiritually is that we will go back to the beginning and try to start over again. 
because the thinking is we must have made a mistake somewhere along the line. And so let's go back, retrace our steps and try to do it again. This time we'll do it better. Mm. And so we really never address the wall. We never really address those places in our life that were confronted and that were difficult. But we tend to move back to old default mechanisms. What we're trying to do is start over somehow and do it right. With that comes a lot of guilt and shame. Somewhere in this journey, for it to be this unmeaningful, I must have failed. I must have gotten something wrong. If God's gone, what did I do to offend him? That he would leave me in this place abandoned. We forget that that abandonment was carried at the cross. The cross is now no longer terminus. It's a doorway. But we got to go through the door. we got to go through that cross. And the that, That's the wall. Yeah, that, there's the wall. But that's painful. That's work. I mean, we thought the other stuff was work. Now we've really gotten to the real work of our, of our spiritual lives, which is to push through what is difficult, to remain faithful in what is difficult, what is to persevere. And as opposed to trying to go around it, find a different way, or start over again and try to get it right or better, do it better this time, we actually look at the wall and we say, that is what I need to go through. When you begin to move through the wall, you are realizing how much baggage you've accumulated along the way and how much detachment is going on. You are being stripped down. It is a vulnerable place. And vulnerability tends to lend itself to the heart, to lend itself to good things in the heart space. But it is vulnerable space and can feel pretty out there and alone and naked. It is a place where all of a sudden all the answers that you so glibly gave to the problems of life aren't working anymore. And so even your intellectual arrogance that you got from all those, all that study and all that investment, you're realizing I have to let those go because it's not going to help. It's not working. And that's true of all of us, right? Yes. You say you, but it's us, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This is the way the stages have that sense of they're applicable to everyone, though we're all unique. How we experience that sense of stripping down, how we experience the struggle will be different for each of us. But it it doesn't take away from the fact that we'll all experience that struggle. And if we're to grow through that place, we've got to take that into consideration. We've got to be willing to stay the course. To stay present in that. Yes, yes. Rather than avoid coming to a place of surrender and just being comfortable in that surrender, and then a greater fruitfulness that comes from that. Mm-hmm. So you, you end up in a very fruitful place, but it's a greater fruitfulness. And it comes following that place of I've come through the wall and I've now arrived at stage five where I'm basically, I am now surrendered to whatever. I have opened my hands to the possibilities that God can do this better than I can. And I'm willing to hand it over to him. I'm willing to trust in that place. But it's that stage four that tends to be the place that people 
will have angst in and want to escape. <laughs> One clarifying thing. Yes. Is this also the dark night of the soul? Is that what we're talking okay. about? Okay. First of all, in if you read different people that are dealing with spirituality from the past, what we might associate with more ancient spirituality, Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Ignatius, all these people are dealing with the difficulty of what does it mean to grow and to mature as a follower of Jesus? How does the new life, the seed that you know began in the soil and broke open and grew out to something, how does it grow? How do you invest in it? What are the things that you need to be aware of? One of the things in living in a farm community like I do now, I never thought I'd live in a farm community, <laughs> but I do. When they talk about the trees that are just out a little ways from my house and these groves of almond trees and walnut trees and peach trees, in the winter, they'll talk about how cold it gets and how the ground for the roots to actually do better, it has to go down and get kind of cold and kind of like not just dormant, but almost aggressively against whatever we would consider that's helpful to grow. <laughs> it's as, almost as though they've taken all the counterintuitive things that we would say that couldn't in any way help growth. And they've said that's exactly what helps growth. It's these resistant places that help growth. Now you come to the, this idea of the dark night of the soul and you come to the sense of my spiritual maturity. And rather than trying to avoid the resistant places, those are the very places I need to press into further. Isn't it in the winter when they actually prune back and cut back the plants oh. tremendously oh, yeah. and strip oh, yeah. away all of that, all the branches? Oh, yeah. They look lousy. You want to be out in the groves in the spring or in the fall or even the summer, but winter months, it looks like a bunch of people went out and just stuck sticks in the ground. It is not necessarily beautiful. There is a beauty to it. I will say there is a beauty to it. But it is different. It is not colorful. You know, the ground is not colorful. It is a different kind of a thing. But it's also so painful for those plants. It, it is. Pruning is painful. And so to some degree, in this place where you've been very fruitful, now the Lord is coming along as the gardener, and he is pruning back the vine. And if you're the, the branch on the vine that's growing, you're saying, but I'm growing. Everything seems okay. It seems leafy. It seems like it looks good, but there's no fruit. Fruit has begun to cease because you've got wild shoots that are taking all the nourishment that should be going to the fruit, and they're depleting it. They're moving it to other places. So the, the gardener, the vine dresser, comes along, and he takes his pruning chairs, and he cuts away all those things. And now that branch, all that sap and everything, can be redirected to the appropriate places. Which is the roots, right? The internal. Well, well it's the root, but it's also the fruit. Mm. You've cut away all the branches that had fruit, and now you're looking for new growth. You're looking for something new. And in that newness, it's better fruit. They talk about planting out here, and they say, you know, before we even pick the first harvest, it's three years. Wow. Three years of nurturing to get to that place. Now you come to the place where they've had a good year. And what are they doing? They're out there with clippers cutting things away. 
rose bushes, I think, are much more what I understand because every winter you take what showed something incredibly beautiful and had the colors of green and red and white and pink and yellow all happening. And they're spectacular. And now you've cut it down so it looks like somebody came and just put a bunch of little sticks all around in the ground. It is ugly. It doesn't look that great. And it doesn't look that alive. But it is. Because there's a whole system of stuff going on underneath the ground that is deepening in those moments. When you come to the wall, however you want to look at it, you can look at it as this is the severe cutting back that is going on in my life so that deeper roots can go down. So whatever is above the surface is not as beautiful and pleasant and appealing as you wish it was. In fact, it's a very vulnerable place because if, if it's your life that's been cut back and just kind of exposed like that, you can just feel like I'd prefer to not go out in public this way. If I looked in the mirror and thought there was anything worthwhile to see there, and then all of a sudden somebody came on and lopped off my ears and my nose, I might have second thoughts about going out <laughs> because I'd look and say, this isn't the way a human being was meant to look. Mm. But when we think about this growth in the spiritual life, it's the very place that amazing things are going on beneath the surface of the soil. Amazing systems of roots are pressing down deeper because what's above is not drawing everything away. So it's going down instead of up. That's in this space, this fourth stage. These kinds of things are happening. There is a book I'm going to suggest to you by a guy named Thomas Green. Two books, actually, but I'll give you the first one. It's called When the Well Runs Dry. Mm. So go to Amazon, look at Thomas Green, look for When the Well Runs Dry. The second one, that's the, the sequel to that, is called Drinking from a Dry Well. Both of them have to do with this idea of what happens when you are in the dark. What is prayer in the dark? And when you ask the question about suffering, to some degree, I think we have to understand suffering is part of the, this idea of God is placing us in a crucible and he's heating it up so that what our lives might be might be truly pure and what they were intended to be and not some sort of an alloy. That he is separating out all that is not God so that what remains is all for God. The heat's being turned up in our lives, and it tends to be the points of contact where we are most transformed. And as difficult as that is, you say, so how do you grow? Well, you grow through a lot of different things, but one of them at least is suffering. And that suffering just tends to be that place that we are further transformed. And oftentimes, it is the most radical pieces of transformation that happen in suffering. And isn't this the tools that we handed God in the garden for intimacy and maturity, though? Yeah, I think, you know, in the garden, you have an existence with God where intimacy is described as naked and unashamed. Mm. Coming out of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you have a sense of looking and recognizing that we are trying to cover ourselves because we are ashamed of what's there. And introduced into that context is now this idea of death. But it takes God's initiative 
and Jesus' death on the cross to create the doorway back into that intimacy that we were meant for. Every time we, in a sense, identify and are, have solidarity with the death of Christ, we are moving into a place of further vulnerability, but further intimacy as well. That's the cross, isn't it? He was yeah. naked and unashamed. Yes. And yet, in all of that, we've moved through these places of difficulty, of having been laid bare. And in that place, we are most available to God and to the work that he is doing. Yeah, it takes a lot to strip back the calluses of our lives. But once they're stripped back, the skin there is fairly tender and it's available. The hard crust, the hard shell removed, there's something better. So this fourth stage is kind of the place that is the hinge moment. And if we choose not to address the hinge moment, we will continue in a cycle of shame, of guilt, of we failed at this. And rather than seeing a life of grace where it wasn't about what we did anyway, we will begin to make it about what we do. I did a better job. I had more spiritual practices that I did. You know, I had 15 the last time, and now I have 30, and I'm doing them all daily. We will look at this as something that we are trying to do and make work. When we begin to move through that place of the fourth stage, we're realizing that everything that we do doesn't seem to make a difference. Only grace does. And so we begin to release these things of, I'm loved because I did a good job. I'm loved because I didn't fail this test. I'm loved because I'm so fruitful and have so much to offer other people. And we begin in that fourth stage where everything is dark to realize I'm loved in the darkness. I'm loved when I have nothing to offer. I'm loved when everything I try doesn't work and I'm a failure. I'm loved. And in spite of all those things, I am deeply, eternally loved and embraced. And there's mercy there for me. So the fourth stage does some pretty interesting things to us. But we have to be willing to press into that place. We have to be willing to say, okay, this is a hard road, but it's the right road. In the desert, when Jesus is 40 days in fasting and prayer and Satan comes to him, one of the things that he says to him is, if you'll kneel before me, I will give you all the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus says, you know, you, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. One of the things that you realize is that Satan is saying, if you would circumvent the cross and your suffering by bowing down to me and just following me, then all that stuff that you're trying to get, I'll give you. The reality is, not his to give, for one thing. But the reality is, is that the cross is the very way that Jesus is enthroned in his kingdom. And so we are tempted every day to circumvent the cross. And every day, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. But every day, there's the temptation out there. All you got to do is bow down to me and I'll give you everything you want. But it will not be the kingdom of Jesus. And it will not be the treasure that he has in store for us. It will be attachment to things that are dying. And it's attachment yes. to death. Yeah. It is the illusion and the illusory life that Satan offers us. It is a facsimile, not the real thing. It is 
made from the stuff that God gives, but it is decaying. And so Satan takes all this stuff that God gives and he says, look, we can play with that. We can mold it around. We can make an image out of this that you can worship and it'll make you feel secure, but it's illusory. It's a, it's an illusion and a fantasy. It's not reality. Moving through the fourth stage takes us beyond the illusion into what is real. Hmm. Sounds like my life all over the place. Doesn't it? <laughs> I remember going back to to when I was working in Cayucas, getting to do what I love to do, getting to work with youth. And when it all ended was when I was, from the outside, I was doing the best. I had the most number of kids. I mean, it was looking pretty good for the most part. And it all literally exploded in one fell swoop where I lost the ministry I was doing. At that point, I'd been going to that church for 18 years since I was 10. And I was told not to come back to church that Sunday. And I could not understand. I was like, where did I screw up? God, how did I mess up so badly that you took everything away? You know, and I love the word fell swoop. In one fell swoop, everything was gone. But I was putting my identity in all the wrong things. I was basing whether I was successful on what I did. And I was burning out and crashing pretty hard and just didn't realize it. Mm. And then realizing, oh, it was God's grace to take me out of that situation where I was relying more on my strengths than his. And where my identity was so tied up in what I was doing and put me in a season where I was back to working fast food (laughs) and doing everything on a volunteer basis. But I wouldn't have met Kurt. We wouldn't be having this conversation if that hadn't happened. I wouldn't get to work with the amazing youth group that I get to volunteer with down in Aurora Grande. All this stuff changed because he ripped the rug out from under me, but then I had to face it. I had a choice. It's that hinge moment. Well, will you run or will you face it and and wrestle with God? Kurt likes to say you don't wrestle with other people's kids because it's just weird. There's something intimate about wrestling wherein God invites you into that. I remember literally sitting there crying and God's like, did you think I didn't know you'd be in that place? If I called you to be in that place, then it wasn't a mistake. Mm. And it was based on what I was doing in those kids' lives, not on what you could do or not do. And he still said, I chose you for that situation. So why you keep trying to pick up all this weight that... I never meant you to carry. And I think a lot of the times with the hinge moments, it's, oh, I wasn't supposed to be carrying that? Oh, right. You're actually good, and you'll actually carry me, and I don't have to worry about you dropping me because you're a good dad. Those aren't easy experiences. No. Oh, no. There's pain associated with that. Mm -hmm. There's disappointment. There can be a lot of crying out to God and saying, what happened and where are you? Mm Mm-hmm. But I think part of this, if we connect it to things like what John of the Cross describes as the dark night, if we connect it to that, we begin to say, this is about us and our transformation. Because one of the things that's easy to do is not only to cry out to God and say, God, what did you do to me here? (laughs) But we can begin to look around at others and say, what have you done to me? Mm, And others can become the target, too. If we can move back from that a few steps and begin to look at ourselves and say, what is being revealed 
of my own sense of attachment to things that God would say, these are the very things you need to detach from. These are the things that are the impurities of your soul that I'm surfacing out of these experiences. So the image that John used, he uses the image of a log in the fire. And he says, when a log begins to be charred and blackened, when the cracks and the knot holes all begin to be magnified by the fire's work, and all the maggots in the wood are driven out to the surface, the log appears far uglier than before. So part of this is realizing that we are the log, that God has put us in the fires of whatever this circumstance is, because in that, the only way that those things that were truly good in us can be exposed and driven out to some degree to a place that they can be actually dealt with. And he says this a little earlier, at first the fire chars and blackens the surface of the wood, and this corresponds to the darkness of the senses and faculties. But as the heat penetrates deeper and deeper into the heart of the log, the same fire which affected the charring of the surface now begins to transform the very surface of the wood until the whole log is incandescent. Mm. The wood becomes fire, and that's where God is taking it. So as we think about the fourth stage and dark night of the soul and the difficulties of these places and the fact that God has us on a journey, and when we hit these places that seem so devastating or or just difficult. It's good to remember that God is exposing us to the fires of these circumstances, not to destroy us, but to transform us, to take what is not light and make it light, to take his fire and make us that fire. Hmm. When they would speak of this idea of union with God, the very sense of that incandescent light, that hot burning Son, that God is, we are exposed to that so that we won't just be dust, but that we will become light, that we will become that fire. And that's God's intent for us, is that we would represent him, that we'd become like him, that we would see him face to face, that we would grow more closely in love with him and intimate with him. But all that is taking place not only in that birth experience, and not only in that sense of discipleship and growth period, and not only in the sense of the fruitfulness of service, but it's also taking place in some very radical ways in that place of difficulty, of strain, of struggle through this wall, of recognizing that all that went before, as wonderful as it was, may not be sufficient to the journey that is ahead. Wow. And so that we are being changed to really enter into these later stages of the journey where we are surrendered and at peace. One of the great illustrations that comes out of uh, Henry Nouwen's book, The Way of the Heart, he begins the book by telling the story of St. Anthony of the Desert, who was considered kind of that first guy that went out into the desert. As Nouwen relates the story, he says that Anthony was in church or, you know, with the believers, and he heard the word from the Lord, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. 
And Anthony took that literally, and he sold all he had, and he moved out to the edge of town, and then he realized this is not far enough. <laughs> so that's when he kind of makes the move into the desert. And he goes out into the desert, and rather than experiencing this sense of elation with God, it just becomes this awful place of pain and suffering for him. But in that place of suffering, he is transformed. In the place of dryness, his roots go deeper. And it says that after 20 years, he came back out of the desert and came into the town, and that people flocked around him for no apparent you know, reason other than he just seemed to exude the life of Jesus. Wow. We move into the place of the desert, not because we're masochists, but because we're we are people seeking transformation. We move through the desert of our life because we know it's transformative, and that's our faith. So what are the last two stages after coming through the wall? If I remember correctly, these, these last few stages resemble the first few, like back to connection, back to um, serving but now with a different motivation. Yes. The fifth stage is the journey outward, and it's the place of realization. I prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh, and what I heard back from God was my grace is sufficient for you. The fifth stage is the place where I'm walking in that place of being fully loved where God's grace is sufficient. And the sixth stage is really the place of reengagement and fruitfulness again, but just more fruitful. Where I'm at, you know, in the last couple of years, the invitation I heard from God, what he said to me is, Kurt, hold to me and nothing else. Yeah. Because this is what unconditional love looks like, that you don't need anything from anyone. And if you will look to me for your life, then whatever anyone else says or does won't matter to you. You can serve people and whatever they do with it, whether they accept it gratefully or throw it on the ground and step on it, it won't matter to you because your life, the very breath in your lungs is my spirit, my love, my life in yours. And that is what I'm learning step by step to walk in. And that's that sense of uh, I've come to a realization. And the realization is, is that God's enough. All our lives, we've been working from the framework of, I need one more thing. So one of the things that Thomas Green says, somewhere along the line, we all want God. The question is, do we want God only or God and? Mm. And he says, what Jesus is moving us toward is this sense that God only. What we oftentimes, the process of that is being able to let, to, let go of all the ands. So good. So, you know, that's kind of where we are in this deal. And to move through the wall is part of that process. Now, one of the things I think for me that even as I read these books, what I realize is that there may be multiple places along the way. So when we think of stages, oftentimes we think that that's it. Linear. I've been through the wall and now I'm done. Yeah. And to some degree, I think there may be a major shift, but even after that major shift, there may be other subsequent places where God is still at work 
in a sense, surfacing the dross of our lives in that crucible and seeing it removed. How we handle it at those places are probably with greater faith than greater control on that second half of life. I'll give you a perfect example when you were talking earlier about the dark night of the soul being that place where we let go of anything else as our value and identity other than God, right? To be able to to let go of our serving of people, what we know, and begin in that place without having anything to offer and anything to do, to just accept that we're loved, that God is enough, that we are loved when we have nothing to offer. That's Sabbath. Sure. In the Sabbath, you basically are opening your hands and saying, you know, the world still spins when I stop. Right. God's still in charge and God still makes these things happen. So just like the dark night of the soul, or just like the Sabbath, I should say, which is a repetitive thing, there may be other dark nights of the soul or this fourth stage may come back again and be repetitive, but it's like you said, as you learn to practice it, it's less intense. and Our, our responses to it are different. Okay. Whereas the first time we encounter it, the first response may be to say, what did I do wrong and how do I do it better? So it's all about me. And the second response is, how do I avoid this or go around it so that I don't have to experience it? Once we have gone through it, there is at least the possibility as much as it is painful, that we will recognize that in the pain, there's further transformation and goodness to come of it. Hmm. And therefore, we may not look at it in the same way and respond to it in the same way as it comes. And we relax in those places more. We are more relaxed about life. You know, everything is not a a crisis for us, (laughs) you know. In that place of darkness, there's fear that kind of, comes up and bites us and those are the places that god wants to remind us i'm here i'm with you in this so in psalm 139 he says where can i go from your spirit and then he lists all these different places that you might try to go and he says even there you're there so you know when we find ourselves in the darkness the truth of scripture and the word to us is i'm here one of the things that john of the cross alluded to was is that part of the darkness is is that we are so close to the light of God in that moment that we're blinded by it. And so the very thing that we would say is this is this is awful. God's saying I'm so close to you at this point that you're blinded by my light. <laughs> so don't mm. try to escape that place where you're feeling that sense of darkness where you can't see. You want to see, you want to rely on your eyes rely on your faith. I'm not sure if we talked about this the last time, but the whole idea of uh, the prayer labyrinth, if you're familiar with the prayer labyrinth, you enter in and then you follow a path and you're moving toward the center. And the fascinating thing is as they've developed this path, you walk in and it's supposed to represent your journey with God. And eventually the goal is to move into that place of unity, of union with God, that center place. So you start out on this path, and the first thing that happens is that you are right next to the center as you enter. And you realize, I'm so close. 
but there is a path and you need to stay on the path. And the first turn takes you all the way out to the edge of this thing and you're so far away. And it's yeah. kind of like, seriously, I was right there. And in our minds, what we want to do is we just want to jump over all the little barriers that mark the path and just jump into the center and say, I'm here. But that's not the path of transformation. Something in that is causing us to look, to see, to listen differently and to watch for him in different places and to recognize being in the center is being in that deeply intimate and close place with him. But being out at the edge, he's still with me. We are practicing these different spiritual practices. We are engaging with God in a regular way. We are opening up the space because we want him to come in and actually expand it so that it's adequate to what he wants to do there, as opposed to what I think he should be doing there. I mean, all of this is part of that sense of I'm maturing as a person in Jesus. I'm becoming more and more the authentic person he created me to be on this journey. And this is what Kim talked about. The result is we relax and we rest. Because what God said to Kim was, you don't have to carry that. You're carrying things that I never meant for you to carry. And as we learn to hold the God and nothing else, as he's been inviting me into, we let go of the things that we've been carrying that we realize we're tired yeah, and we're weary. And God's like, good, because now you'll let that go and find rest in me. The author, uh, Pete Scazzaro, you familiar Mm -hmm. with Pete Scazzaro? Oh, yes. Okay. I was in a thing with him where he was speaking and he made this comment. He said, if whatever the yoke that you think you're supposed to be carrying is exhausting you, you may be carrying the wrong yoke, Mm. putting on the wrong yoke. And it may not be the yoke of Jesus. So when we begin to engage and think, okay, this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing, how I'm supposed to be doing it. And you know, this is the course and all that. And we're exhausted from that. It may not be the yoke of Jesus. The yoke of Jesus is, easy and light, and actually leads me into rest. We oftentimes are taking on the wrong yoke, responsibilities that we were never meant to take on, Hmm. things that weren't ours to take on. And in the cases where we are in operation in this relationship with God, he invites us to be collaborators more than he invites us to be controllers. (laughs) Right. It's not about me being in control. It's about me collaborating with what God is trying to do. Jesus said this, my father is always at work, and (laughs) so am I. And all we're invited to do is look for where God is working and collaborate, join him, not carry all this other stuff, but let him be doing the work and us just grab his hand and walk with him. Yeah. And to get to those places, To be able to release things like that, to be able to not jostle back and forth with the control issues, those are all maturing places. They're all Mm -hmm. places of growth in our spirituality. You know, sometimes we find that we fail. The great thing is that in the best case scenarios, we know that we are loved deeply in the places of our failures, not just the places of our success. That is rest for our souls. 
yeah. This has really been so helpful. I would say it's been breath in my lungs. Well, Kim, you are so gracious to kind of be with us in this and just some of your story there, good insight in it. And I appreciate that. And, you know, just being with you guys is a pleasure. So the interaction I appreciate. So thank you. Absolutely. Would you pray for the people listening who are on that journey? I would love to. Father, I thank you for the fact that we are a created, valued, special, prized being that you love deeply, that each of us are just valued by you, that you care about us, and you have begun a process in our lives, a process to come into the place that we were truly meant to be, a process in our lives to make us into the authentic and real human beings that were intended from the very beginning of creation. And though we are in struggle a lot of times with our own flaws, Lord, you love us in those places too. So help us on this journey. Help us each one to take the next appropriate step, whatever that is, and to know that you will empower us and that you will lead us. So we just ask that you give us good ears to hear, good eyes to see where you're going, and that we would follow you. And as it gets tough, Lord, in the places where there is struggle, give us perseverance in those places. May your Holy Spirit just fill us and empower us to continue to press into those places of greater depth with you. And thank you that, Lord, you promise us an eternal life that is a treasure, an eternal life of being loved in the place of graciousness with you. And I thank you for that. And I pray that we would continue to know that when we are with you, when we are trusting you, we are in the best place. And so we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Always a pleasure. Your wisdom, your experiences, and your willingness to share them are absolutely invaluable. Yeah. Oh, you're very kind. I, I had a great time with you guys. I appreciate just uh, <laughs> you let me be a part of the deal. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And please know you can reach out to us with any of your questions, your prayer requests, or if you need help because you're feeling stuck in some area of your life. I am a coach for transformation that helps people move forward on their journey. If you want more information, or you want prayer, or you have questions, you can email me at coachkurt777 at gmail.com. And as always, remember that you are God's beloved, so be loved.